This is a Crib Room podcast. Bringing you industry news, views and happenings. Earlier we caught up with Ralph Finlayson to talk Saracen and we got to know Ralph just a little bit more. This is a Crib Room podcast. Probably after about a year of giving back, I've felt um, what I've become really engaged with and it's remained the same since then is seeing students come through, actually cherry picking them out of school in a lot of cases or first year engineering at Curtin and getting them through the School of Mines, seeing how they evolve seeing how their personalities evolve, seeing how they great, you know, create great friendships uh, for me and then watching them journey, their journey coming through when they get into the into the workforce. So our first three graduates are all managers in our organisation now. So I get a huge amount around seeing these students grow up in their journey and that's why I continue to get engaged and love doing the, the really early year stuff with the, with the school now. But I think, um, you know, Thunderbox, to go back a little bit, um, you know, we acquired that for $32 million in um, 2014. Um, we just delivered a quarter that delivered twice that cash flow for what we paid for it. So, you know, we've had a bit of luck with the gold price along the way, but it has been an absolute gem of an asset. This is a Crib Room podcast. This time we're dedicating our podcast in the Crib Room solely to the KCGM Super Pit and the Saracen acquisition of the Barrick share of the iconic pit. Raul, what was the attraction and where did it all start for you? Um, so it actually all started when I was at the School of Mines. So I started studying there doing surveying in 1997 and graduated in 2001 um, doing surveying and engineering. Um, my very first back job was at the Super Pit. So student surveyor um, used to, went out there for the first uh, vacation work, Jason Bebick, um, Tim Osmetti, a few of the lads, uh, Matt May, who's still there today. Um and I was fortunate enough to actually retain a sort of part-time job there through the whole way of my study. So I was five minutes to work and five minutes to um, to uni, and it was just a fantastic thing. I was getting paid, learning heaps of stuff along the way. So for me, it was just the best grounding on doing a degree, but also doing it in practice. So you know, fast forward twenty years to have the opportunity to do do due diligence and potentially acquire the asset and go from the the lowest paid person on site to owning it is um is obviously a a pretty fulfilling um, you know, experience for me. Tell us about the barrack sale process. How did you feel when you were informed that Saracen was the, the winning bid? Um, I remember being faint, if I'm going to be honest. So I flew over to um, to Toronto as part of the, the process. We had to put our bids in in person, so they didn't want to have it emailed through. We put our bids in in person, bumped into Northern Star, bumped into other names, which I won't mention, um, in that process. And then we all went downstairs and went away and came back and Walked into the thing, I thought it was going to be a rebidding process, this is the way they tended, like an auction. Um, and the head of Barrick BD came across and shook my hand and said, Congratulations, you bought 50% of the super pit. And I remember going numb, it's like you're winning a silent auction. And my first thought was, Holy crap, we paid too much, which is your first response. Um, and then the second response was when I had the documents put in place in front of me and I wasn't sure the legals had actually been closed off. So I had a phone call with my board legal advice and their CFO and said, are we ready to sign this and we've actually the winning bid? And there was a bit of a, oh, yep, I think so. We've done all the work. We've, we're here. Let's sign it. And I remember sitting down um, 16th of November as the date was. I could barely spell my name when I sat there and I signed in the date on the document. I looked up and they said, oh, yeah, 16th. And looked at them again. They said, November, yeah, 11. Looked up again. And so literally I couldn't remember the day, date, day, month or year when I was signing my name. It was such an out-of-body experience. And I remember flying back um, to Perth. I landed in Sydney to start marketing an hour after the deal had gone public into the ASX. And I remember going to the wrong, I was a bit distressed, I went to the wrong building in Sydney. 
So I'm in my civvies and I've haven't shaven for a few days, and I'm walking down Pitt Street in Sydney, bumping to every second fund manager and um, broker, going, "Mate, you're raising a billion dollars at the moment." So yeah, I'm trying to. I'm just got to the wrong address. So it was a surreal moment for literally a week, and um, even you know post that, you know, really struggled to sleep for a period of time because the enormity of the deal was um, was off the charts, and it's still something that pinch myself every day. But it's um, you know it's a phenomenal experience. Bill Beamont, you mentioned uh, obviously Northern Star was was around that sort of process. How quick was it before Bill was on the blower to you? Yeah, so when I got back to Sydney, he rang us when we were raising money. So to raise you know a billion dollars is um, you're not for the faint-hearted. And I remember as we'd wrapped up the marketing of that in Sydney, he reached out to us. He was in Sydney at a, I think it was a UBS conference, and he reached out to us and said, "You want to catch up for a beer?" And I was literally with all the brokers doing the carve-up of all the funds when we had more money being bid for than what was allocated, so we had to do an allocation. I literally left the brokers to it, went downstairs and had a beer with Bill, which is the first relaxing moment where he said, congratulations. Look, obviously, um, we'd won the bid, but he's, um, you know, we obviously go back a long way, but he was, and from what I heard from what he said at the UBS conference, very positive around us and us winning the transaction, so very supportive, which without a doubt, without a doubt, made the um, raising a billion dollars a lot easier when obviously, you know, fund manager's going to ask him about what, what the thoughts on what we paid and how we went about it. So it was actually very relieving. I was very grateful he reached out. And it was actually that first moment where I took a deep breath and said, this is the right thing. Northern Star buying the other 50%. Obviously, you've had that conversation with Bill. You knew that there was some sort of interest in there. There was things that were swirling around yeah. previously to that as well. But yeah. when Northern Star or Bill's just given you a call back and said, yeah. oh, yeah, by the way, Ralph, yeah, we bought the other half, champ. Well, it's funny. I was just um, I was just thinking about the other day and um, look, Bill and I catch up quite a lot. I'm just looking at my phone at the moment to see what date this was. So it was around December and I remember I was in um, – I was in um, LA. We were visiting Disneyland, so kids are seeing, um, and then we went off to um, to Whistler to, to to get some snow. So it was a decent break after a pretty exhausting year, obviously. And there's rumours running around. I remember the step before that, Bill said, "Oh, can I get um, the number of Tom Palmer, who's the CEO of Newmont?" As a bit of a clue to say, he's probably going to ring him up to see the other half of sale. So I was happy to do that. And then I heard some rumours circling around in Sydney and I sent him on the, the 16th of December, I just found it here, I sent a text to Bill saying, welcome partner, question mark, question mark. And he sent one back saying, um, thumbs up, um, talk early tomorrow morning, Sydney time. Um, and from that point then, um, and I said, look, this would be fantastic, very excited. And he came back saying, bloody great to hear, mate, between us we'll smash it. And, um, you know, it was just a really, it was a... It vindicated what we did, I suppose, as a first step. And then secondly, having two like-minded, um, you know, Kalgoorlie-blooded, goldfield people um, that have been around the super bit for a long period of time and knew the potential of it, um, owning the asset was just fantastic and was, you know, plenty more to come. Well, we're going to come to the, the strategies and the optimization in a couple of minutes. But from a background point of view and someone who's been around the, the super pit pretty much all my life, um, there's been limited information and public knowledge on the life of the KCGM operations in the past. How willing were the previous owners to share with you the current and the future opportunities when you were starting to go through some of that negotiation process? Yeah, so I think there's probably two parts to that. I think the you're right, it's been in a bit of a, a bubble, if you like, um, despite being so close to Kalgoorlie. I don't think there was a necessarily a willingness issue, but I think it was just a relevance issue. So if I think about Barrack and Newmont, you know, a, it was a JV. Um, B, Barrick and Newmont, not, not the last 
few years particularly, not necessarily seeing eye to eye on anything corporately, so they made it difficult, um, but also a relevance. So this is an asset, a very small portion, 1% to 3% of both of their um, net asset value in their, in their whole portfolio. So you know, draw results or information about the life of mine plan was not really something I'd ever see the light of day, didn't need to. For Saracen immediately and Northern Star similar, you know, now all of a sudden it's been anywhere between a quarter and a third of our total portfolio and in Saracen's case it's our most material asset. So all of a sudden things like draw results have a far more meaningful impact that we've put to the market to keep them informed but also the community, bring them along the ride. So in the next uh, few months you'll be certain to see a swag of information hit the market around draw results. You know, it's been three decades since a draw results actually hit the market. First time it's actually been in ASX hands. So You'll be seeing information around that. You'll be seeing information around the war remediation, what our plans are there. You'll be seeing information about the growth that we see in the portfolio, resource and reserves, all those sorts of things. So it's going to be really good for for the community and um, um, you know, obviously the market to be able to get some information on the asset, which has been a bit of a black box for a long, you know, three decades. Well, we're going to try and get some of that out of you shortly. But <laughs> some of the points of the strategic review and optimization. Um, what what have they revealed to you? Have you just gone and looked at something that's pretty blatantly obvious as a as an operator who's been in the you know three hundred kilometre radius of cow, knowing what's going on in the in the sort of industry? Has yeah. there been some things that probably yourselves have have pointed out that geez, we could do this a lot better? I think. Coming back to the Northern Star coming in as our partner, the really obvious thing that came out of it immediately, and I remember a post that Bill put on to LinkedIn immediately was a, a dream team concept around, um, you know, Northern Star's got a fantastic background, a lot of Barminko contract background, so their underground expertise is, you know, in my view, the best of the market. Um, we've, we were born off a very strong open pit background, obviously we've evolved an, an underground business on the back of that as well, so... Being able to combine those respective skills on an asset like Case Gem is perfect, if I can say it. Um, so with Saracen, we did a lot of work on the films in South area, the open pit potential. Northern Star logically did a lot more weight and work around the underground potential. What was pleasing was we're both being able to get to a bid price almost in those areas. Obviously, if you can combine the two and combine both sets of strengths and the upside on both um, is where the real leverage comes from. So I think when we when Northern Star were the owners, we sat down for a whole day and went through our respective DD presentations that we gave to our board. And what was pleasing is A, very similar goals for the asset, but B, the the weight of um, underground open pit between our respective businesses and saying the opportunity to bring them together. And I think that's what we look to unlock in the, in the coming months. Recently, uh, Cerbaton Associates released all of their figures for gold around Australia. Last quarter, a 4,000-ounce increase. Is this just a bit of plain luck or has there been a bit of an emphasis from you as an operator to try and obviously get some more out? Yeah. Oh, look, very early days and hopefully we can show in the future it's a lot more to come. But um, it's really around the fact that since the wall failure, there's been a, the largest proportion of feed going through the plants actually coming from stockpiles. So what we want to try and get to is like they were in that sort of 2016, 17, early part of 18 period where they're actually filling the mill from the underground and open pit sources. So we're a long way off of that at the moment and we plan to try and ramp that up over the course of the coming three or four or five years to get to a point where we can get back to the, ideally, the, the heyday when it was getting filled from those sources and the stockpiles ideally start to build up again, which mm. is that sort of quasi-future-proofing the business concept I talked about at Carousel Dam and Thunderbox. So... That's the very first signs of that, but obviously, you know, much more to come. Okay, you've talked a little bit about, alluded to it, but the failure of the East Wall a couple of years ago now, I've heard there's about 30% of the pit floor around the area, which is pretty attractive to look at, and some pretty decent grades. 
How far along are we from a solution? I think in one of your previous reports, you've said you're looking at the September quarter to, to obviously release that to the market. Yeah. But there, there's a lot of work that's got to go into that particular area, isn't there? Yeah, look, there's been lots of work that we started you know, back in September. And look, Saracen's taken the lead on a lot of that um, remediation assessment. And me personally, I've spent, um, spent 10 days on site before COVID and spent another week on site. Um, during COVID um, with a team of engineers from our side working through all the different scenarios. And you know, to Newmont's credit, they did lots of work, you know, 22 geotech holes around the back of the slip to see what the wall was like there, explore different options. We went through all of those options and then floated up another five or six more, taking them all to ground and we've got a really good plan. I probably can't say a lot more because that's all going to be coming out during that September quarter. But Look out for that September quarter. We're talking about drill results, you know, first time in three decades, you know, plans around the east wall, um, the updated resource and reserves, the first time they've been under the Jork um, code um, that'll be coming out as well. So we're very, very comfortable where we've landed and um, on the back of some really good work Newmont have done, but it's also been very comfortable that, um, yeah, we can dovetail the remediation with things like Brown Hill, which we've started already. So it's just been some good work, some nimble reactions from Saracen and Non-Star. I think we've got a really good mine plan that we're looking forward to put into the market shortly. Pushing south, is there an emphasis on Femiston South while obviously that east wall is, is you know, inhibited, that's pretty yeah. sterile at the moment, um, but is there a bit of a, a action plan to go south and, and continue that? I think it's three yeah. million ounces or something yeah. that's been added to the reserves around there. You must have a camera in here somewhere. Hey, look out. Yeah. <laughs> um, so good doing your research. So look, absolutely, and that's the area that we found most of the, um, the growth was going to come and I suppose that three million ounces you referred to, that, it's interesting that um, you know the Golden Mile has been such a constant deliverer, you know, from the super pit itself. You know, it's been doing seven hundred thousand ounces, or in fact, it did twenty one million ounces over three decades. Seven hundred thousand ounces a year on average for thirty years is phenomenal. Um, there hasn't been a need to look outside of that, and I suppose the first step looking outside of that was around two thousand sixteen. They developed what they call the Golden Mile um, Growth Team, so. Um, uh, Catherine Ebo and fronting that up and what they've done through drilling and evaluation is looking at a cut back to the south, you know, normally the Femis and South. And um, you know, the growth in that from such a short period of time just shows you how how big that golden diamond is. And we're talking forty five thousand ounces per vertical metre, which is more than all of our deposits across Carissa Dam and Thunderbox combined. So it's an enormous system. So, you know, so we're really dovetailed on the back end of that work. Um, looking forward to Finishing that work off, finishing off the studies, finishing off the drilling, and again articulating that growth and what it means to the life of mine, what it means to the future of Kalgoorlie in lots of ways. Production profile, all those things will be, um, you know, obviously the things that will be unveiling in the in the coming months. Well, if you think there's been some research, wait for this one. Uh, the Fimiston pit floor is a pretty interesting spot. There's a lot of voids. You can see some workings from the numerous mines that are around the Gold Mile, but the drill results from depth. They're still producing unmined ore loads with a result of nine meters at forty three point six grams a ton, and then there's one meter at three hundred and seventy one grams a ton. How do you go planning to get that out? Well, my first thought is, um, I just said there's been three decades where data hasn't gone to the market. So either I'm lying or you've uh, you got some good intel internally. So I think it's the latter. <laughs> um, so well done on that. Um, look, there's two phases to that, I suppose. And to your earlier point around, you know, the wall failure and having some good gold below that, and there's, there's in the order of 1.5 million ounces of reserve sitting below that wall failure. Um, and that's something that, um, you know, clearly we want to extract. And with the gold price where it is at the moment, uh, we'll lift down on earth to get to that. The good news is that we don't need to do that. It's only a 
it's only a wall failure which actually gets all on the way down. So good, we've got a really good plan around that. But I suppose the the chapter around um, below that um, is the intriguing part. And I'm mean, talking about the super pit hasn't had a drill drive taken off that pit in that three year three um, decade period, which is phenomenal. You know, we've got pits at Carrisdam. Thunderbox, which have got drill drives off them while we're still mining. Uh, I remember around the St Ives area of Goldfield, something similar. So one of the very first things we want to try and get to get to is obviously putting a drill platform in to really test some of the Finmus and Deeps um, potential. And again, that Golden Dam, and I mentioned before, it's something that Northern Star did a lot of work on. We identified as a significant opportunity when we're doing the DD. So very keen to do that, drill it out, obviously, and then obviously start up a what we see as being a significant long-life underground asset under the Fimus deposit in parallel with open pit mining. So I think, um, you know, again, that's the real upside on this asset. Over to Mount Charlotte, underground. Uh, hidden Secrets load uh, was revealed. Oof, it's, it's been in market for a long time. Yep. Um, there's also some further extensions to the ore body. You're still looking at what you can do with, with the Cassidy shaft and what lies underneath? Yeah, absolutely. And it's just uh, every drill hole unearths more gems. And there's, you know, even from Hidden Secret right the way back to, to Femison itself, the golden down that continues all the way through there. And it's just every drill hole opens up more opportunities. So, um, there's that and also mineralisation right up near surface all the way through that uh, Mount Charlotte, Mount Percy area. So a lot of that, frankly, we didn't get to with the mm-hmm. DD. A lot of our DD was focused around the pit and the Femerson Deeps and not a huge amount of value attributed to anything else outside of that. So I think that's the example of these hidden gems that will continue to unearth. Like we're still finding out lots around these. So we've basically rebuilt the entire resource for the entire Golden Mile from scratch um, under Saracen's banner with... Um, some good external guidance and obviously input from Northern Star. So we're very close to finishing that. That'll form part of our chalk resource that we put out in reserves. So as we're doing that, we're just finding a huge amount of opportunities. So we're just pretty excited about what all that means as we start unpacing it all. You mentioned Mount Percy. Where does that fit into the future plans? I think that was abandoned late 90s, maybe very early noughties. Yeah. Hasn't been a lot happening around there. Very close to Hannah's North Precinct, but yeah. pretty sterilised as well from the rail and the, the water infrastructure that's around there. Yeah, and I think, um, you know... Dare to dream, I suppose, and you go back to Bondi's area here and had a dream about bringing Casey Gem together and what it could become. And if you look at photos when I was growing up, you know, um, and seeing the super, you know, what is now the super pit being a bunch of head frames, and you look at it now and you think, who would have ever thought? And I think the long term prospects of that whole Mount Percy area, even further north, prospects like Eight Mile Dam, which I didn't even heard of, hadn't even looked at during, um, during DD all the way to the south of Femiston as well. Um, I think the scope longer term, if you if you have a really strong vision about what it could be, is um, is phenomenal. And I think that Mount Percy area, as you said, you know, gold price has probably gone up triple, if not quadrupled, in the period since it was last mined. And um, frankly, no drilling has been done there, no evaluation has been done there. So we want to take a bit of a blank canvas and say, okay, what could this be? And then work out what constraints they are and whether they're real or things that can be can be moved in time, and it may well be that you know the rail gets re- relocated, which we've been talked about, that unlocks value for all parties, and we're very open-minded about all those things. Raoul, where does the the view with KCGM and the people, we sort of alluded to it at the start, but is it something that you as a new owner, and I know obviously we talk alongside Northern Star Resources, is it something that you're very keen to grow and, and repurpose back into the community? Yeah, without a doubt. I think... Um, you know, very early on, like Northern Star's taken the lead with the Mount Charlotte area and, and it's been really good to see. Uh, Rob Parsons has come in there as the underground manager. In fact, every single management role 
across KCGM now is filled with either Northern Star or Saracen people, um, and of course Coast Kirsten comes in as our new GM. So it's been really been a lot of change there, but we're trying to get a bit of a reboot. And um, you know, so in the underground area, Northern Star taking the lead, you know, Saracen open pit here, and it's just about trying to motivate the guys. It's probably been since the wall failure, probably the the overarching uh, philosophy has been trying to reduce cost with the revenue coming down with the wall failure. Which has meant that it's been underutilisation of people, you know, worried about jobs, those, those sorts of things. So we're going the exact opposite, and we've been very clear from day one that we want to get movements back to where they were in the heyday, and that's we're already seeing signs of that happening at the moment. So what you do is you energise people. So we're trying to energise people to have conviction around the asset, really have purpose about being there, and you know any of the institutional type elements that you get with organisations that go for a long period of time. We want to reboot that and get people who are really energised about the future and what it could be to have a red hot crack, have, a, have that can-do attitude and we're seeing signs of that at the moment and we're keen for those people to come along with the, the journey. If they, if they don't, that's fine, but at the same time that those who do, we want to give them every opportunity to grow. You mine very close to the Kalgoorlie Boulder mine site. Literally, there's a road that splits you from houses. Yeah. Um, there's plenty of environmental attributes to this. What's the trickiest to overcome knowing that you've got plenty of resource around but also mindful of residents as well? Yeah, and I think it's interesting, like, so, you know, Casey Denver does a good job with the sort of pulse surveys getting feedback, and generally it's really good feedback, but I think the biggest thing is around this commerce piece, and I think, comes back to the previous owners, probably not an, there's no need, obligation for them to have the comms there, whereas for us, we feel there is from an ASX obligation point of view, but also from a community point of view, and we feel that being engaged with, with the community, being able to be there in person and actually go and talk to the people about what some of their concerns are, is half the battle and comms, as we know, is, is a big part of anything. But also looking at the approvals timelines and saying, well, what's, you know, working with the government around what's what are sensitive areas and what are not and just being really able to streamline those things. And I think there's some really good noises out of the state government through the COVID around trying to streamline the approvals to make sure that we all do the right thing. I think that's first and foremost and we want to understand what's sensitive and what's not. But at the same time as when there's opportunities to go hard, we want to be able to go hard that, you know, helps to fuel the economy. What does the future of KCGM look like? Let's have this chat in three years' time. Yeah, I think for my mind, if I, if I think about KCGM when I was working there or when I haven't been involved or owned it, there's always a lot of the talk around, you know, when's the end of KCGM or what are the implications for Kalgoorlie. We want to put that peg a long way out so that it's just not a topic of conversation. We want to talk about the growth. We want to get that place being a vibrant mine site. We want to be, we want the community engaged with us on the journey so they understand what's going on where we see the potential, keeping them well informed. We want people to go to Casey Gym with a with a vigour to actually be keen to make a difference. Um, to have really good engagement with all of our stakeholders, I think, and really get it back to something that we can be really proud of. I think it's an icon, without a doubt. We want it to be an icon that we're very proud of in our portfolio. Um, and the community is happy for us to be stewards of that asset. And I think if we can achieve those things, we've fulfilled our role as well as keeping our you know shareholders happy along the journey. Ralph, you're a busy man. I've been hunting you down for a while for a Crib Room podcast. Thanks very much for your time. And it's great to hear you so open, honest. It's it's great to hear your passion for your people, which is I think is pretty phenomenal. Um, and at the same time, hearing some really good things, mate. Thanks very much for your time. Thanks, Glennie. The Crib Room series of podcasts are produced by Industry Link Media. Subscribe to podcasts via your audio platform and via industrylinkmedia.com. This is a Crib Room Podcast.